0: Today we're going to learn about migraine and headache. Something I have been looking very much forward to learning more about and finding an expert. There's so much uh, advice out there, but it's hard to figure out what's up and down and what's really true. So I went digging for someone that has really done some research. And I'm pretty proud because today I got uh, Steven Silberstein on. He's a medical doctor. He's a professor of neurology and the director of the Jefferson Headache Center. At Thomas Jefferson University, he has served the American Headache Society as president, treasurer, and board of directors, and I can continue on for a long time. He's also been involved in more than 300 publications. This is a guy that knows something about headache. It's not someone that just wrote a fancy article with a lot of beautiful pictures, but someone that's really been looking at the research. So, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. You're more than
1: welcome. I'm happy to be here.
0: Stephen. What is migraine? Because a lot of people are saying like, I have migraine or I have a headache and so on, but what is yeah. migraine really?
1: Let's just start with a headache. A headache is really a pain in the head. So for example, if the pain goes to the lower part of your head into your neck, you call it neck pain. So one, it's pain in the head and migraine is characterized by some differences from just a mild tension headache. one. It has to be moderate or severe. It has to be a time throbbing. If you get up and move, it gets worse. And often it's on one side of the head, but in addition, patients frequently have sensitivity to light down, odors, nausea,
0: and or vomiting. So it's more than just a headache, it's a headache plus. Got it. And so I've been diagnosed with migraine. Uh, I was a teenager, 14 the first time. Suddenly I had blurry vision. I thought it was very weird because I had never had blurry vision before. I was playing sports. So I just thought it was kind of weird. I kept playing and it didn't hurt in my head. And then suddenly like the most severe headache that I ever had in my life hit. And then later I was throwing up. Um, And this happened several times. And then my doctor was like, this is a migraine. But why do we get it? Why do
1: we get migraine? Yeah. Uh, well, one can ask that question two ways. One, why did evolution, if you believe in evolution, allow migraine to persist? And then two, what does it mean? And some people have suspected that people have migraine, that brains are more sensitive. So if you were a caveman and you had the ability to sense an animal or something dangerous near you, it leads to survival. Also, it's odd. We actually did a survey at the American Academy of Neurology. People attending a headache course, whether it was choice or not. We found about 80% of the people, mainly men, had migraine. So we either say that migraine makes you a neurologist or being a neurologist gives you a headache one way. (laughs) And we don't know why people have migraine. It's familiar. If you have a parent with migraine, the odds are you will get migraine. if you have twin, but idea. The idea is that twin may have it too. We know with certain rare types of migraine, there's a gene for it. On the garden variety migraine, we know that there's genes that lead to it. We don't have a real good answer yet. We're looking.
0: Yeah It's interesting. So I I started learning more about what triggered migraine. So lack of sleep and a lot of physical exercise, then I'm much more like, and then light. There's a specific screen yes. light in the club. Whenever that gets turned on, I close my eyes. Or like when you have a camera, the blitz is one of the worst things. I read like, I feel oversensitive, but my vision starts getting blurry. And if I don't really like close my eyes to deep breathing or something else, it suddenly triggers that.
1: Well, what you need to know is migraines more than a headache. People can have symptoms. Other than headache before the migraine attack and afterwards, common symptoms include before the headache starts, sensitivity to light, blurry vision. Some people get an aura where they do yeah. these things moving. Some people can't talk. Some people get pins and needles in their arms, and their legs, and then after it's over, it's like, after you're getting drunk, you have a hangover, you're not sharp. You get brain fog. And these are the things that can all occur to the migraine attack.
0: Yeah. Some people have it chronically, almost, and some people have it more like it's coming once in a while. At least that's what I heard. Is that true or like what's the case? The average person
1: has one or two migraine attacks per month, but there are many people who have four or more attacks per month. Those are the people that need prevention. And there are also a percentage of people who have migraine, they have it almost every day. And that's called chronic migraine. And these people are never entirely headache free or exposed, one or two days a month. And in the last ten years we've come to realize that chronic migraine is part of migraine. Now we have drugs that specifically are targeted to chronic migraine and to people and for both chronic and what we call episodic migraine. They're the same. Difference is chronic migraine means you have headaches more than fifteen days a month. And episodic means less than 15. It's arbitrary, but it's a good way of looking at the problem and the disability.
0: Got it. Is it, if you have it more chronically, is it the same intent? I know like the intensity of migraine is different. I went to school with a guy that went to the hospital several times. I never went to the hospital for migraine, but he was, he actually got hospitalized for the migraine. But I'm thinking if someone has that 15 days in a month, it's very hard to function.
1: You're absolutely correct, but there's a difference. There are many patients who once they're treated, they have a little bit of a headache every day, but it's trivial and maybe once a twice a month, bad headache. And there are other patients who have bad headaches almost every day in that function. And as that you heard a friend of yours went into the hospital, we have a hospital, the purpose of which is to break the headache cycle, so that the patients can then start having less frequent headaches and function better.
0: Correct. Sure. So what do we, like, we know there's something, Jeanette, I know from personal experience, but that's not research-based, that lack of sleep, not getting enough food, water, yeah, a lot of hard physical activity I got. When I was a teenager or younger, I got all of, most of my uh, migraine attacks at sports, actually, when we had these tournaments okay. where we would play three to four ga- games a day over several days and little sleep on an air mattress, I would often get those migraine attacks there. So what do we know about no. what triggers migraine?
1: Okay. What we mean by a trigger is something that happens, and then it's followed up by a migraine attack. But let me tell you what's not triggers, chocolate. People used to believe that, and this study was actually done in England, where they gave chocolate or something different, and there was no difference. My personal belief is there are things that occur before a migraine attack, and what is the desire to eat chocolate, says you eat chocolate, you won't get the attack, and these are things that actually protective, and we've worked with a company that created a diary. Many of the so-called triggers are really protection. So for example, if you feel fatigued, tired and you sleep, you kill your headache, so the fatigue may be protected, but there are clear, as you think, things that can bring on a migraine attack, not eating or hypoglycemia, dehydration, exercise can induce some migraine attack. These are things that are clear that can do it. Alcohol. I actually, done studies of that it, uh, can actually induce some migraine. So, there are a number of things that really are triggers, but the mythology that's grown around triggers, particularly for chocolate. Mm-hmm. So, i tell everybody, half curiously, half kiddingly, that the uh, best treatment for migraine is to eat a bar of chocolate. Steven, that's
0: what I do. I have migraine. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> this was worth the entire interview. <laughs> I love dark chocolate, and I heard that myth. It was actually one of my questions whether that was actually true or not. So that's good to know. I had a longer period. I was trying to track whether it like I luckily don't get migraine that often any longer. I can feel if my body's getting too tired. I take very much care of my sleep and so on because I know that makes a big difference. At least that's what I feel. Um, I've got it down to like once, twice a year, sometimes every second year. And I used to have migraine attacks once a week, but I took a longer period without it, and then I, like, I still got it. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, okay, it didn't seem like it was connected that I got less migraine attacks by not eating chocolate. So that's good to know. So all the migraine chocolate lovers out there now have an excuse for it too.
1: But there are food triggers, for example, MSG, which is in Chinese food. If you don't tell not to put in it, it can trigger migraine. Well, still there are MSG, monosodium glutamate, which is the spice they put in Chinese food. Yeah. And if you look at the uh, labels of things, the MSG in it, the, the flavoring, that can trigger migraine. It's not that there are no triggers, but a lot of the things we believe are triggers are probably not triggered.
0: So what are the known triggers and what are some of the triggers that we thought that are not really triggers like chocolate? Okay.
1: Best triggers, as you've already pointed out, is if you start to exercise, that can induce migraine. If you don't get adequate sleep, if you don't eat, dehydrate. And eventually, and other thing will give you with migraine. You go to the theater, dark sunny day, you come out, you see the light, that light can actually trigger a migraine.
0: Yeah. Neck tensions. I found like in my right neck that it can go up um, and give a lot of tensions. And if that's really, really tense, it seems to be more likely to come. Is that something that that's, makes sense?
1: That It does absolutely make sense because we tend to look at this as independent of the headache. Many people with migraine have neck tenderness. And a simple way of looking at it the nerves from the neck and the nerves from the head all go to the same place. So if these start to get sore and make the rest of the head more sensitive. So neck pain is very common. Migraine, thanks botulinum toxin or Botox, which we use to prevent chronic migraine, we often inject the neck muscles where it's tender. So I think you need to not separate the neck from the head. You need to realize if your neck is tender and hurting, take care of it, stretch
0: do some exercises, ice sit. These are things that can be done. Yeah. What's the biological thing that happens in the brain and what do we know like if we got some. Okay. Migraine? Very simple answer. You know what hives are,
1: right? Hive? You get these little hives, nerves release things, and you get the breakout and itches on your skin. Okay. A simple way of looking of migraine is hives or the lining of the brain. What really happened is the nerves get excited. They release chemicals. Those chemicals go to the pain fibers and the pain fibers give you the migraine. And the fact that the brain has blood vessels of pulsating comes from the blood vessels around these areas. And there's like a neurogenic, fancy term, inflammation from the nerves, neurogenic inflammation. So the simplest way to look at migraine is hives, the lighting of the brain. And the chemicals that are released like CGRP there are now drugs that go against CGRP
0: prevent you from getting a migraine headache. That's fantastic. So let's dive into some of the stuff that works. So what are things we can do to kind of prevent migraine or like once we get it to recover as fast as possible?
1: One if it's right out go to either put a Shades over your eyes, avoid light, avoid loud noises, and rest. Important. Number two, if you know you're going to have a migraine attack, have something with you to take. The longer you wait to treat, the more difficult it is to treat. So, for example, you start with simple over-the-counter analgesics. And you can go from that to drugs like the triptans, uh, so in every country has a different name for it, the DHE. There's a new drugs called GPAT. So there's a lot of different drugs. One of the things you should find out is what works for you and have it available so you can take it as soon as you feel it's coming off. The caveat being, if you have very frequent headache, the very drugs that treat it can make your headache more frequent. So therefore, if you have occasional headaches, do that. There are also devices now. So for example. Many people don't like to take medicine, so they get a side effect. And we have devices. We have a little unit that goes here. We have something that stimulates the back of the brain. We have something that stimulates the vagus nerve. We have the patch that goes on the arm. All of these are called neuromodulation, And all of these are safe and effective with the migraine. So for example, uh, you may want to put the patch on in the morning. And then if you get a headache you push your butt on your phone and it's activated. Or you may want to take vagal nerve stimulator. You they keep it in your pocket, take it, put it on a minute and a half, and the fact that if you don't want to take drugs or you're, so, therefore, you need there are non-drug alternative biofeedback, relaxation. People can go into a trance. They learn these techniques of meditation that can help control life.
0: So brain even over, if I can just jump, jo- what are those right? uh, patches called? Oh, that did you put different places? The uh, and makes pet. Neuribio
1: is the name of the patch. The an Israeli company. This is a TENS unit that comes from Belgium. The vagal nerve stimulator comes from the United States. And th- the, so these are just three examples of yeah. devices that, that can be used to help control migraine without drugs.
0: And what's the name of those? I'm pretty sure some listeners okay. would love to look them up. Sure. And this is E-Neuro, ElectroCore.
1: E-Neuro, this is a device. And they'll come to me, at a mental block, yep. but this is a little TENS unit, but yep. there definitely, definitely, you can ALY the name of the place.
0: Fantastic. And these are all devices where there have been studies done, where they tested on subjects. or? Oh. They've all had, in order to get approval in the United
1: States, they have to have a clinical trial to show they're effective and safe. So in order to get approval and the indication for migraine, there have to be studies in they're all published in peer-reviewed journals.
0: That's fantastic. So many people are suffering, and there's so much advice out there about stuff that works that don't really work. Uh, Whereas, like, right. um, what are the things that are actually good studies being done on, both medicine-wise, like, in some of my podcast people think I'm critical to medicine, but I'm a huge fan of medicine. I just think it needs to be used, correct? Like, I'm so grateful for all of the pharma companies that has produced these amazing medicine that can really help us. But I'm also very curious to some of those solutions that don't have side effects. Yeah. So I think it's like, I'm from, Denmark is a pharma country and it's absolutely wonderful stuff we built, but we just need to know like when to use it and when to potentially use something else, right? Yeah.
1: I believe that, I don't believe you can only use drugs, only use mm-hmm. devices, no. or you can only use uh, meditation. You need to know what works for you. In fact, we've created a website where we have reviewed materials and we actually believe that everything to our knowledge is that everything on there is evidence-based and the thing talks about diet, certain types of nutrition, talks about appropriate exercise. It talks about meditation skills. It talks about the right kind of exercise. And one of the things that people need to be aware of, I was many of the supplements, like Vitamins and minerals that people take for headache There's evidence. They work, but people never know what they're getting unless they're certified. So when somebody did a study, I think it was the New York times, they went into a pharmacy in New York and they got a whole selection of the, over the counter vitamins, minerals, and supplements. And they found that often what they said was the label wasn't there. And some, in fact, had can tell yeah. so one of the things we did partnership is to create a resource to save the pharmaceuticals. And I think that's very important, or if we can't get them, at least be sure that some independent agency looked at it and analyzed.
0: But it's a huge problem with supplements. Um, Yes. I know it's like, that is, it's nice that it's not regulated because it puts a lot of acid costs, but it's also horrible because so many people are putting crap into the supplements. I've been told like from industry experts, like a lot of fish oil, that around 80% of it is crap. Like it's actually, it's only the placebo. That's exactly correct. But but those 20% that are good, those are good for you. But that's also why you have studies showing that fish oil is not efficient. But that's, of course, if you like are taking crap, so you need to ensure that the source that you're getting is really high quality. Otherwise, you're not going to get the benefit. Um, And it will stay on the
1: label independently analyzed. And that way, you know that, so for our nutraceuticals or supplements, company makes it, and then we send it to the outside lab to be sure it's pure and there's no spam. So that's really important.
0: The website you mentioned where you gathered all of the resources, what's that called? Control ML. Okay, perfect. Dot com? No, don't. uh, What I just do, Google
1: it's Control ML. And then it'll take you to there and you'll be able to see everything. In fact, there's an app, you can put it on your phone and do all that kind of stuff.
0: Fantastic. What are some of the other natural things that we can do to, to try and prevent migraine or deal better once we get migraine?
1: Well, something you said that exercise can bring on your headache. Now, what I have learned is the following. Exercise is not bad for you, but how you do it. So for example, moderation, if you want to exercise, you know, it a headache, you don't go from zero to a hundred miles an hour. You warm up, you give your body a chance to move and you do that. And not only that will keep you getting a headache, but it'll prevent you from getting future headaches. That's one thing about exercise, sleep, most important thing. Something I need to tell you. How does the brain get rid of all its waste? Every part of the body makes waste products. How do they get out of the brain? During Indeed. sleep, channels open up, called the glymphatic system and stuff drains out. If you don't sleep adequately, the glymphatic system doesn't open. And basically speaking, it's like your brain is stuffed up with all this garbage and that can produce headache. You got to get adequate sleep. Not uncommon among people today is sleep apnea. There are people, and the way you find out about it is you don't wake up refreshed in the morning or your bed partner tells you you're snoring all night to keep waking up. If that is the case, you can get a sleep test, something like uh, a breathing device. And that can make all the difference in the world. We've seen a lot of people coming to our clinic who have headaches. They're tired. They don't sleep. You talk to their wife or their husband, whatever it is. Hey, yeah, he's up all night snoring. The first thing I'll do for somebody like that is get a sleep test. and I've got more people better by having them sleep right than probably anything else quickly. But that's sleep's sleep, good. Sleep, exercise, fiber, diet, and nutrition. Um Fasting causes headache. There are some religions have fasting days, and I guarantee many people get a headache on that. So if, if, if you're in a place where you know you may not be able to eat, keep a protein bar with you. It's the best thing you can do with a headache coming on. And those are simple mind of things.
0: Your relaxation. If we just jump into something first, Stephen, sorry. And I I think all of them are super fascinating and I would love to go deeper. So if we start with supplements, what are some of the supplements that are useful? Sure. Magnesium. How much magnesium and and what form of magnesium? Should you take magnesium fumarate? Because
1: here's the problem. If people have constipation, certain forms like milk of magnesia contains a form of magnesium that doesn't get absorbed. It goes in your stomach, it comes out your backside, and it gives you diarrhea. So, magnesium fumarate is the one that gets absorbed.
0: What about magnesium okay. magnate? Malate is
1: good too. I would say fumarate and malate. Those are the two best, but give it fumarate
0: the best. And is it because of the yeah. absorption of the magnesium that fluorine yeah, is better? Basically speaking, it, it has to do with the fact that fumarate, malleate
1: are better absorbed as magnesium compared to other forms of magnesium. And the less they're absorbed the more likely they are to give you diarrhea.
0: Yeah. what? How high of a dose would you take and would you do that on a daily basis? Like, So I personally take magnesium metalate every single day. I do it, by remember the doses, but I do it uh, an hour before bed or half an hour before bed.
1: Yeah, the idea is you take a supplement, take it on a regular basis. The other thing that's been shown recently to be effective is vitamin D as a dog, and if you don't get enough sunshine, vitamin D, don't get enough sunshine, that's a supplement that can also help you with it. Another supplement is riboflavin, another vitamin, and that Taking that, they are all the things I'm talking about. They're the controlled trials proving they're effective. So if you have riboflavin also is effective, vitamin D, particularly if you're somebody who's taking a statin, actually drug to reduce your cholesterol. If you take vitamin D in addition to that, maybe better than either alone. Then there's things called pedicitis, better birth, but so there are a number of supplements and. The ones we've actually put, talked about on our website is ones for which there's good scientific evidence.
0: Fantastic. Do you have the links on the website as well to those? If anybody gets interested, they can just search me on Google
1: Yeah. and just anything they're interested in. Or we have written guidelines for the American Academy of Neurology in those guidelines. And if you send me an email, I'll send them to you. You can distribute anybody wants it. And the guidelines, look at all the studies and show what's the best evidence for each of them and the scientific data in which they're based. I spent a lot of my career creating evidence-based guidelines for that. And yeah. intervention. So I'd be more than happy to provide that to you and just send me an email and they can make it available on your website or whatever you need it. And that yeah. really tells you where a bunch of people get together, look at all the evidence. I mean, say, based on this evidence, this really want to work, or there's very little evidence. Yeah. So that's helpful to people.
0: It's super helpful. And it's uh, very time-consuming to that work yourself. And it can be very hard to figure out, like, what study is high quality and so on. That's why it's fantastic when someone has done all of that work. And you can find, saying, like, someone that has the knowledge, like you, it has been working with research for so many years, can actually see, like, this is a good study, or this is a bad study, and this is what you should Start with testing out on yourself and figure out what works for you.
1: That's my suggestion. Find something that you know works and make sure it's, the bottle says something and it's in there. And make yeah. sure it's independent. Medicine.
0: You mentioned fasting can be a problem. And so when I started doing intermittent fasting, which is just the 16 hours, I remember I felt very like pressured and almost like, oh, I would risk getting a migraine. Um, And I slowly build up the tolerance. So now I often fast those 16, 20 hours and I feel perfectly fine. But in the start, I felt I often ended up eating because I feel like, Hey, this might be a migraine developing if I don't get some food now. What's the, the, what's the reason for that?
1: As you just said, you need to build up hours, just like with exercise. You don't go from zero to a hundred. So we all fast overnight. Most people fast from the time they get to bed till they get up. So people are fasting eight, 10, 12 hours a day already. So what you do is you say, well, normally maybe you have a bit back at eight or nine o'clock, so you eliminate that. So you have dinner at six and then you go to 6 a.m., that's 12 hours. Take advantage of sleep and that they'll become part of your fasting. And what you do is you send it to either side of before you go to bed and you wake up and that one way of fasting without getting trouble. Yeah. Would you? What's uh, hard is when you don't fast, you, you stop eating the night before, and then you spend the next day not eating. That's when you get nightly.
0: Yeah. So I've considered doing a uh, several day fasting. Many of my friends are doing it, and many health experts are advising like once a quarter, every half a year, like three to five day fasting. Um, but I haven't done that yet. What would you recommend? Because I have a history of migraine, then I test it out. But I, if I'm starting to feel like this could develop into a migraine, I cut the fast and start eating or push That's through exactly what the I best.
1: That's exactly what I Okay. Yeah. I would suggest that, listen to your body. Yeah. If you're starting to fast and you get a headache coming on, eat. But what you'll find is just like you have, if you do it slowly and extend it, be able to fast more with this not say. Yeah. So if it, like everything else in life, moderation.
0: Makes sense. I also have the feeling that if I have to do this longer fast, I will need to not exercise a lot. I know some people exercise really well fasting, but I've, for me, but that's my personal feeling, I haven't tested it yet, is that that combination would push my body to where migraine starts. If I'm exercising and not getting the proper food, then that's a trigger, I imagine. But I yeah. don't have any data on that and yeah. I haven't tried it, but that's. Yeah. It turns
1: out that when you start to fast, your liver gives you figures. For long fasting, the fat breaks down, which is a sort of energy. So your diet, independent of your diet, what your muscles and your body is living on changes, triggers the fats and after a while. Um, you can become tired of that, but if you don't become tired of it, you just have to get into it slowly.
0: Yeah. So basically, well, I have some podcasts as well where I talk to people about burning fat instead of carbs and getting into ketosis and so on, and the body slowly gets used to that. And that it takes around three weeks to get the body more used to burning fat and getting used to intermittent fasting where you no longer have this craving in the morning.
1: That's exactly what happened. In fact, ketonic diets are used for epilepsy and in some cases, migraine. But this is not a function of fasting. It's a function of taking food substances that are digested and become ketones as opposed to it is.
0: Got it. There's one lady I haven't been to her yet. She also has a PhD and she, I think is from Switzerland, and she talks very much about a ketogenic approach to dealing with migraine.
1: Yeah. Like I said, there's good evidence, for epilepsy, and there's some evidence that it works for migraine. Yeah. And some of the drugs we use, for example, actually tend to make you a little ketotic or acidotic, and it may work that way. So I'm not saying not to do it, but what I'm saying is there is some, there is no evidence that it's bad for you. And there's some evidence suggesting it might be good for you. But it takes a lot of determination to do that. And many people are not willing to go in and do slowly. yeah.
0: What are some other things that are possible to do to uh, again avoid or once you get it? You talked a bit about meditation. Meditation,
1: to the best of my knowledge, is a way of concentrating and focusing your brain and taking control of things. And in the process of doing that, You take control of your pain pathways. That sounds silly, it's not. Give you an example. You ever stub your toe and then you massage your leg and the pain goes away? There are systems in the brain that go from the brain downward to turn pain off. If you're a soldier and you get wounded in the battlefield, you know you have to get the heck out of here. You'll feel no pain. Because if you feel pain, you'll die from being shot again. So the body has the ability to turn pain off, pain modulation. So we can do it through meditation. The patch on the arm does, uh, medical called pain modulation. Your brain can do it. So we have the ability to turn our pain off if we train it. The other thing we have learned recently is that not all light is bad. There's a certain frequency of blue-green light that actually helps people with headaches. And there's a company named LA, which makes a was developed by a friend of mine, Dr. Rami Burstein is a neuroscientist at Harvard. And they actually showed that people who have this light in a room, they don't get as many headaches and they can work in front of your computer with bright lights on, get one of these lamps. And I think you can get them on Amazon or the website or whatever, but it's something new and it's scientifically proven. That a certain frequency of light will make not only won't give you a edit, but make your head better.
0: That's fascinating. <clears throat> I had several episodes on photobiomodulation, and it is so interesting how different light spectrums have an impact on our body, and how it is. We've looked into for many years, but it hasn't become more mainstream. It's it seems like at least in the biohacking circles and like the tech circles that the red light and Photobiomodulation is, is winning more and more attention, and I've also seen how we are looking at neurodegenerative diseases, and there's like early results on Parkinson's dementia and so on with different light spectra. It's absolutely fascinating.
1: You're absolutely correct. And the studies of green light we were usually done in animals, and they put an inflamed surface of the brain, and they put electrodes in the pain centers in the brain, and they showed, depending on the frequency of light, you get more activity or less activity. And they did the same with the patients. They could actually look at the response to the light, what they call electroretinograms, and showed that the color lights make a difference. You're absolutely correct. The frequency of light, the amount of light, really makes a difference.
0: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see the next 10 years, with more funding going into it, how are we going to get this new understanding and better understanding of light? Also how we are learning now how the blue light in the evening is kind of hurting our health, our sleep, and many other things. They're like these red light blockers. I have a pattern using that often. I don't feel the big difference from it. Wearing these red glasses in the evening, so before going to bed. But many people swear to them, and it's like one of the, one of the game changers for many people is, is getting these glasses on in the evening so they get better sleep. The problem
1: with glasses for migraine. Is they're not developed yet adequately, specifically give you the frequency that relieves light, relieves headache. But the glasses aren't a great idea. There is a company now that's developing glasses that will do that, but it's far from real
0: Yeah,
1: uh, life yet. But I think that if you were a person, you have a knife light in your room, if you have this blue green light, it soothes your brain down, you'll sleep, it may help prevent headaches. It's improving been proven to be. Effective scientifically.
0: What are other things that science has shown is uh, good for migraine?
1: Something very interesting. You were talking about tension in your neck, right? If you feel that, you could put heat and cooling on it. And the combination of the heat of cooling will actually turn those nerves off and prevent you from getting a bad headache. So one of the suggestions I would make is, if you feel that, you can put up some cream that'll cool you down. And if cooling works, cool it. If not, warming it. And that will affect the of the nerves and the pain. And that may prevent you from getting a bad mind.
0: So that's the, that makes sense intuitively to my experience. I often have an intuitive uh, feeling or need after a while uh, for a really cold shower and then warm shower. And for some weird reason, my body asked for the mix. So that would speak Absolutely. hundred
1: percent. Let me tell you the science. This is brand new, something we're working on now. If you take a nerve and you heat it up, it'll stop conducting. You cool it down, it'll stop conducting, but those are extremes. But if you alternate cool as warm, it can actually block conducting of the nerve from pain without damaging the nerve. And that's what you learned in the shower. And there's a company now that's developed a device that all heating and cooling. You put it where it hurts, and it can take migraines very really while well. Getting ready to go into clinical trials of a device that does exactly
0: what you do in the shower, all in and cold. You're ahead of the game. Fantastic. But it's funny how our body uh, pushes us to something intuitively that we're then figuring out that we can do in another way as well. Right? Yeah. What's the name of that company? I would love to look them up as well. Thermacwell.
1: It's uh, Thermacwell. Okay, again, when I send you the other stuff, i yeah. send you information on the device. Basically what it does, it's a little box. heats it up. And after a period of time, it cools it down. Keeps it up, cools it down. And they're, they're, their new device should be available in up to three months. But it's fascinating how the basic science of nerve conduction can be applied to us to make us feel better
0: yeah yeah science is fantastic and it's fantastic how it can help us um to live better lives that's why Absolutely. i love getting people on the on the podcast both in the research uh, but also people that are working on some of these new technologies where they for example for to buy figured something out and saw like okay there's actually fairly good studies why haven't this been promoted yet? And then they make a device and often people are very skeptical when someone is selling something, but i found that most of the people that are selling this stuff, a lot of them come from personal pain and look for a solution. And then was like, okay, why hasn't anyone done something about this? Let's, let's turn this into right. technology. And I've been involved with doing, dining clinical trials,
1: Go that the device that are something that looks like a called a Yeah. And, and you need to do that because it's, how do you know it's just a doctor telling you it's going to work? You believe it works, work as opposed to really showing this is adding something that's important.
0: Yeah. yeah. What are some other innovations that you've seen that so currently been validated? And then I would love to hear about some of the stuff that you don't have the validation for yet, but that you think there might be promising early results that okay. you think will. Yeah. There
1: is one cafe that working on a device, you put in your nose to cool it. And the idea is you work on that. There's another company that's working for a device you put in your ear and vibrates and by vibrating, you actually signal the nerves and it turns the pain off. So that's two different devices that are currently under development. Another thing I mentioned earlier, those are these glasses and what they are, you know, when you look at a computer screen. It doesn't have good resolution. You see the pixels? Yeah. This is basically like a computer screen. It tends to pixelate what you see And the process of doing that. If you're motion sickness, you can drive in a car and also the right needs color to making it. It's still in development, but I tried the device myself and I get used to get car sick as a kid, which by the way, if you get car sick as a kid, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get migraine later. But it's good for car sickness, and it also, when it's available. Be good for building, I think.
0: Interesting. I saw. I think it's a Danish company. I don't remember the name right now, but a friend sent it to me. They made some kind of device with like breathing into. Oh yeah, that that had good breathing device. Them.
1: Yeah, it's a company in I think it was Norway or Denmark. I think it was oh, Danish. from Denmark. Denmark. Denmark, yeah, Danish Denmark, and actually, I met them. And talk to them about it and actually find the device. Now, the original work came a long time ago that people noticed when you had a migraine aura, if you breathed a tank of oxygen and CO2, that would turn the aura off and prevent you from getting a headache. This is a rebreathing device, like a bag. But you keep breathing your same air, and what it does is it builds up the carbon dioxide. and has the same effect as breathing a tank of 95% oxygen, 5% CO2. There are studies, it works, not yet available in the United States, but it takes advantage of a very old observation that can't carry a tank with you, but you can carry this device with you. And it's not yet, it's getting ready to go in the trial time in space.
0: I love those kind of things, like where people figure that out and like, okay, how can we make this more simple? It's like, actually, we can just make like this breathing bag. Do you remember the name of it? I remember something like Rehaler or something else. It's mm-hmm. a breathing Rehaler. I don't know what their marketed name is, I,
1: but when you send me the email, yeah, I'll figure it out. It. Fantastic. It's the name is, it. it's in Denmark.
0: Yeah, I followed them for a while, waiting for it to be released, and I'm a bit curious. It's now available. Yeah, it's now available outside the United States,
1: to the best of my knowledge. And now they're getting ready to bring it to market in the United States. What I like about it—it fits in your pocket. It's like blowing up a balloon; you breathe in and out. And none of these things work for everybody, but if you find something that works for you, that's all that matters.
0: Yes. Yes. But it's really wonderful to speak to someone like you who is not in those companies. It can sometimes be because when someone starts a company, they feel enough, many of them fall in love. That's the proper word with the technology or the idea. And there's also vested interest. But it's nice to know with someone that actually does the research and looking into the stuff, saying, like, hey, the research coming from here is solid, but we still need to get it fully validated. So this is where we are in the development stage, right? So I often say in the podcast as well, it's like, I love Western science. double-blinded studies and we know this works for the majority of people but we got to be aware n equals one like you might be the outlier i also love ancestral wisdom i just want to make sure that when we talk about it that we don't speak about it like it's something that's been tested and approved right Um, because there's many ancestral things such as meditation used to be something we thought was crazy but turned out to work really well fasting we know now as well is good for many things so there's a lot of this ancestral wisdom that is useful we just need to speak about it as this is um, anecdotal evidence or something people have been doing for thousands of years, but we're not sure oh. whether, like, we, don't, we haven't proven that it works. And I think it's important to have the dialogue. Okay, look at aspirin.
1: Uh, yeah. Look at aspirin. It derived from the tree. And people, there's a picture in Japan, there's a temple that people went to dedicated to headache, and in that temple is a tree from which aspirin. So people survive before scientists do anything. And I think the two basic premises are most important is it's safe. If it's safe, then you don't have to worry about taking it. And it may or may not work for you. Even with the proven device, nothing works 100%. Therefore don't give up. I think we shouldn't think of migraine as one disease. We should think of migraine as a bunch of diseases. And let me give you a good example. There's a variety of migraine that runs in families that produce the attacks with paralysis of the arms and legs What side upside called hemiplegic migraine. We now know there are four different gene mutations, genes of a piece of the DNA, four different genes that can produce the same disease. So we have four diseases which produce hemiplegic migraine. We don't know yet what causes migraine genetically. Probably a bunch of genes work together, but the question You need to face this. Your migraine and my migraine may look alike, but there certainly may not be alike. And what works for you may not work for me and vice versa.
0: I think that is very important to stress. I was told and I'm curious about that with your hand, there's like here over your thumb, this place you can press a pressure point that's supposed to be good and up around your temple. Oh, okay. okay.
1: Condition, pain, modulation. If you let somebody uh stick you with a needle or something. Yeah. You can quantitative how much pressure you need to to make a pain. You then dump your hands in ice water and do it again. Your capacity to withstand pain increases. It's called condition pain modulation. And basically the ice water tells the brain to send signals down to turn pain off. So when you do that, it's the same thing. That's the principle of the patch. It stimulates some of the nerves, goes to the brain, turns the pain off. Same in the battlefield, the body can turn pain off and we can use techniques like that, ice water, other things, because what the brain is interpreting, this pain is really driving me crazy. It's really bad. Turn it off in the process of turning that off. You're turning your other pain. Got
0: it. Time is running. Stephen, there's so many things I want to ask you. And it's so fascinating to finally have found someone that has been doing so much research on a subject that I've been curious about for many years. One of the last questions. So I found that the mental part is really important as well. If I think I'm, at least that I learned when I got older, that I could, like, my mental mindset, uh, really believing that I'm not getting migraine, kind of almost helps where if I'm like, believe, okay, now I'm getting a migraine attack. Then it would evolve, and it would be so like when I'm talking to people, I really just want to get awake, be somewhere warm, or well not warm, um, dark, and just close my eyes, do deep breathing, and tell myself, this is nothing. Okay. Where if I because tell someone, this is like, I'm getting migraine, please leave me alone. Then okay. I feel like then a hundred percent become migraine.
1: You just talked about deep breathing. Yeah. When you take deep breaths, that activates the vagal nerve. Whether you stimulate it there or take deep breathing, we know deep breathing turns pain off. So there are animal experiments where they actually show deep breathing or stimulate the vagus nerve, you turn pain off. So for example, if you have pain in your stomach or anywhere in your body, take deep breaths, activates the vagus nerve, turns the pain off.
0: So that's part of helping.
1: So that's part, you know, meditation, deep breathing, all
0: that. What did I not ask you about that I should have asked you about in uh, in this talk so far?
1: How did I get interested in migraine?
0: Yeah. How did you get that? I'm guessing you had it and that's the the wave with the pain of someone that was close to you.
1: Well, I had migraine, my mother had it, but I never knew what I had. And they never talked about it in medical school. I started out as a general neurologist and one of the physical therapists, who the was down the hall from me. Once a week would have a migraine attack and the whole thing fell apart. And then I decided I'm going to find somebody who knows something about migraine. There really wasn't anybody back then, 40-some years ago. So I learned about migraine. The second thing was that my wife was working for a company and she couldn't find anybody to speak on migraine. They so said, you're going to do it for me. Those two factors got me interested in my interest. the rest is history.
0: Fantastic. It's incredible what the loved ones can Yeah, they can make you do a lot of things, good and badly. Yeah. Steven, where can people find out more about you?
1: I'm at the Jefferson Edith Center at Thomas Jefferson University. We have a web website and we have Google my name, Stephen with P8 Silverstein. I've wrote tons of things about migraine. We even did a book for patients with the American Academy of Neurology. So we have a patient care book. We have lots of things. So, and that would be a good way for somebody who's not a specialist in the field to learn more about the basic tricks of and migraine. The American Academy of Neurology publishes these books on neurologic disorders, ones on migraine headache. And I do, and one of my colleagues, William William.
0: Got it. I'll make sure to link to all of this stuff as well. I'll send you the email.
1: And control M, control M, control M headache. As a lot of the stuff we've got, Dr. Young and I are putting a lot of materials online.
0: Yeah. Another final question, Steven, like you've seen different things in your life. You've done a lot of research. So apart from migraine, like if you had to give someone like three advice on living a good life.
1: Okay. I believe in wellness and the, the fundamentals of wellness are eat appropriately, exercise, get sleep, and have mutual respect for your friends and neighbors. And have somebody you can really talk to and heart to heart and not worry about the fact they're going to stab you in the back. You need somebody like that in your life, whether it's your wife or your boyfriend or this or that. That's the best thing to keep you going somebody to talk to again. Um,
0: Fantastic. I really appreciate it, Steven. Thank you again so much for coming on. This is, I think this is going to be one of my favorite advice or like favorite episodes with all of these concrete things to do with Migraine. I'm going to check out all of these different companies because getting Migraine just sucks. It's that short Yeah, job, um, yeah. whatever you, you me, can find. Yeah. You send me the email, I'll give you all the information. I will do. Again, thank you so much for being on.